0: You can only achieve at anything when you know fully who you are and what you are and how you place yourself within a greater spectrum of life and of people and society. It's exactly why I think I need to continue just telling this narrative. It's persistence and sticking to your truth. And I know it's a huge burden of responsibility while at the same time I'm always conscious of the fact that I'm one of the few people who can do it because of these privileges that I carry. I get to be able to stand up tall and say, hey, I am queer and I'm a married woman. Because how many others of us wish to be able to have a partner who's supportive, to have a marriage, to have a family, to be able to go and have this kind of gender-affirming healthcare care that I've had. I know the pain of existing in a space where you don't see anything that resembles yourself, the person that you are and the body that you are in. So somebody needs to continue to disrupt those spaces. It's necessary in order for others to come behind us and find a different world, a better world, an easier world for them to exist in.
1: Welcome to Courageous Conversations, a podcast exploring the intimate side of activism. I'm Gillian Riley. And I'm Jen Warren, and through these interviews we seek to understand what it really takes to show up and make change during this critical time in history. In an effort to become more effective change makers, ultimately our aim is to promote authentic engagement as
2: a vital component of social justice and social change. Ricky Hositao is the Executive Director of Accountability International, a think tank that uses accountability to improve human rights and social justice for marginalized people. Herself, a young African trans woman, Rikki is devoted to engaging with youth, women, girls, sex workers, LGBTIQ persons, and survivors of crime in Africa. Ricky's focus is on what she calls the intersectionalities of struggles, grappling with human rights, gender identity, spirituality, and socioeconomics. And for her, this is deeply personal work. She brings her own experience and stories into every aspect of our conversation. Ricky completed her graduate studies in international relations with a specialty in international human rights law and diplomacy. She was also a 2016 Mandela Washington Fellow of the U.S. State Department's Young African Leaders Initiative. Beyond being a human rights advocate, Ricky is a fashion designer, an organizational leader, a wife, sister, and daughter, and a deeply spiritual person. She is, in her own words, privileged. And in this interview, Ricky causes us to consider what true
0: privilege really is. Hi everyone, my name is Tseporiki Kositao, a Motsona girl who is just this globetrotter that continues to destabilize the norm. And I'm a transformative feminist who is also a queer theologian. So that's me.
2: Yours is a story of love. Yeah. And acceptance. A lot of it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think when working with spaces where you get to know how. Others have grown in a different kind of context, Mm. but with the same exact reality that you were faced with, you get to appreciate how you've been cushioned. And it's the one thing that at the back of my mind, even in my own activism, I'm always very conscious about that I need to continuously be aware of the privilege that I hold and that whenever I speak, I need to be speaking from a point of being aware and being sensitive to others who didn't have the same exact kind of cushioning, if Mm. I can put it in that way. But that is not to say that I have not also gone through my share of very painful experiences that I think have also shaped me into the person that I am that in other ways could have broken me. And mm. instead I chose to use them as a way of strengthening me and strengthening my resolve to be able to visualize myself. So I'm one who's very open about those privileges because I think when you try and hide them, it only just makes you being able to relate to others difficult. difficult. Yeah. In different parts of our lives as people, the one thing I've recognized is that there's places where we hold privilege, yes. and then there will be other places where we lose that privilege and we become the outsider, we yes. become the other, we become the less privileged.
2: And I think it's interesting amidst a global discourse that treats privilege in some way as a fixed yes. function of your identity, your race, your gender, for you to approach it in a much more contextual, relative way. Talk more about where you feel you've been privileged, how you've been privileged. Oh my, we're going to have to go
0: all the way back. Let's go. (laughs) I've had a lot of privilege insofar as being born to the mother that I was born to. The age difference is not such a wide gap. It's 18 years in between her and I, which coincidentally has meant that my mother understood me which meant that I had the mother hand protecting me from any other person that could have wanted to influence my way of being brought up as somebody who was male assigned at birth. That cushioned me. I think I lost privilege at a point where my mother got married to somebody who was very abusive. And it became very clear that I was the other child. My own... Queerness was something that he couldn't handle. So she tried by all means to try and really make sure that I felt accepted I felt loved that home was a place that really nurtured me and I wanted to come back to And then she made a choice to leave him for our sakes with my brothers That is what then showed me what true love looked like, non-judgmental love Love without any kind of borders or any restrictions. She raised us all by herself and As a mother who had not gone through formal education and completed it, instilled the principle of education and how that will forever be the key that holds our own freedom, our own independence. And in that I think is how then this person in me was also crafted, who got to value education, who got to value knowledge, who got to value the need to be an independent individual and it's how I think even my own activism was also born. I got to see a picture of lived, real feminism in that she grew up in a very traditional background. Those kind of women who were told your husband is basically your father. Where men were told that if your woman is not subservient, you have to discipline her. How we as various minorities essentially are at the mercy of a system that is meant to just invisibilize our voices that is meant to invisibilize our agency and our autonomy to be able to determine ourselves so growing and seeing my own mother becoming her own independent self i got to realize in terms of the cultural context we live in the kind of struggle that women have to go through in order for them to become independent while I was also going through my own facts-finding mission of trying to figure out, what am I? Like, that is still also another major question. I was on this one and fighting to just, as a child, to be heard and to be understood, while at the same time I still had this question mark even about my own gender in itself. You
2: know, you've mentioned agency and autonomy and the idea that your identity and your options aren't fixed. Yeah. Talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the internal evolution that's taking place at the same time that you're yeah responding to your changing family
0: dynamics. As far back as I remember, I was in like crash, about four years going into five, and they met for the first time with gender. Thrown into a school context where I grew up in the rural village and there was no issues with me expressing however I wanted. We would play house in of so they call it called Mantwani. And then I'll be the one there, busy, busy, trying to chop and cook. So this is the kind of engendering that for me came innately and then I get to crash and I'm being told about boys and girls and that boys go the side girls go the side so I go where the girls are going no question mark no debate inside of me nothing that is telling me think about this ask yourself a question should you shouldn't you is this the side that you need to be or is that the side you need to be on and then I see a teacher who comes and pulls me from the girls side, and then pushes me to go towards the boys what the hell is going on Mom. okay so I play along but then at different intervals through the two years that I'm in crash first year in itself was the most difficult because thereafter I learned to kind of adapt to the fact that I saw myself differently to how the world was seeing me I remember an incident where the teachers at different times that girls needed to go to the toilet and boys needed to go to the toilet I want to go with the girls and I'm told I can't I must stay
2: okay what's going on inside of you you feeling shame then? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling in that moment when you're saying, I'm supposed to be going there, and everything inside of me says no.
0: No. I caused a whole lot of havoc for teachers. I think that is the one thing that threw out particularly the formidable years of my life. Mm. And I was always one person who spoke out because I'd never wanted to feel subjected to any kind of space I didn't want to be in. And I think it was something that came out of the abuse that we were feeling at home. And in many spaces, wherever then I felt like I was being subjected to any kind of force into any kind of space, I lashed out, I spoke out. But throughout my primary and crash years, conversations that my mother had with me was always about how, Nana, you must understand that other people don't understand you the way that I understand you. So try not to be a difficult child with your teachers Mm -hmm. and that is what the playing along kind of attitude where it came from, where my mom was like, you know, when you get home, you can play with your Barbies, you can wear whatever you want to wear. You can come and cook with me. Anything you want to do, you can do. But you know, when you get to school that there are other people. So... They know that you're supposed to be a boy, and you know that, okay, you're not a boy, but just be nice. Don't get too upset with them because they don't understand. If they say, boys, go, just go. You know you're not a boy, right? But just go. So that is where it came from. Because the one time that my mom and my ex stepdad got called into class when they were picking me up, and the teacher sat them down, and I'm there with them, sitting next to my mom, and she's like, can you go and talk to him? Something is just not right. In crude terms, like, there's something wrong with your kid, in a very stigmatizing way. That was really, really, really painful. And this is where, for me, it started getting real. The environment told me that there's nothing we can give you as answers. You're just this anomaly that exists, and there's no label for it apparently you're not a girl, but you know yourself to be a girl. But you're also not a boy because you don't fit with the boys. Mm. What are you? And as a little kid, there was no other avenue to be able to explore Mm. and find those kind of answers for myself. I mean, growing up in a very rural context, your uncles are tasked with the responsibility of shaping a man out of you, which means having to teach you how to be able to go and herd your cattle Mm. and goat, to be able to milk them, to be able to slaughter them whenever there is festivities at home. These are rites of passage for men and they tried all those with me and it was not working out. So my granddad is just like, you see, this is exactly what I've been telling everybody. Can you leave Sepo just to be a girl and leave all these boys things to be for boys? Oh,
2: okay. And that was the
0: major, major shift that I remember. And he's like, let's just leave it. Sepo is just a girl, leave her be. Let her do what she wants to do because this whole process of us trying to force matters is not working out. So if anybody has an issue with what I'm saying, take it up with me, but leave her alone. Wow. And everybody's just like, okay. (laughs) There's nothing else. What do you say? This is like, let it be done. This is exactly how the things are going to be. And I still had question marks. In my understanding, I'm apparently not a complete girl because I'm not female bodied. Mm. While at the same time, my environment is allowing me space to be a girl in terms of how I express. What am I? Now I knew that home was a place that I could be myself. And I knew that in other spaces, my being could not necessarily fully express, but why, and Mm. what was this being? Bing, bing, again, I hit a dead end. I've come to understand what gay and lesbian are, but I still don't know what I am. Mm. Only in my first year of high school, form four, is when Oprah Winfrey, poof, there's a trans kid playing on her couch with the parents. And I'm watching it with my older brother, Teboho, at the time. First time ever, I'm hearing of transgender. This is what the discussion between Oprah and the parents was about, because this person was born as female, but this person was a boy. They are transgender, and they are looking forward to putting them on hormone blockers when they grow older, going into puberty, until they can be able to make decisions for themselves. My older brother turns and says, that's you, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) First time ever, light bulb moment. And it's out of that that I realized people had always known I was a girl. They had always known I was trans. Mm. They just did not have the language Mm. to be able to articulate it. Mm. Because for my brother to be able to just instantaneously pick it. Amazing. Wow. Yeah, actually it is. Term found and then start doing my research There we go. No, Miss Winfrey is on point. Like honestly, (laughs) I always, always praise Oprah for that very moment that I got to see the power of media and the power of even being able to see yourself in others. Because for the first time, imagine I had never seen any person like me. I had never heard of any term that described somebody like me. It's important to be able to see, to have role models, things that you can be able to put yourself against and say, okay, so this was what I might be. I'd already been overt about the fact that I was a girl to a lot of people who knew me, particularly like other students that were in my class. Ricky is just like she's a girl. So at that point, yeah. you're Ricky. Yeah, I'm, I'm, when
2: did you start? To start using
0: the... Ricky? I'm not gonna validate the name that my mother gave me at birth, which is my second name. Sometime my mom says when I was still in primary, she would call me with it, and I refused. And instead, I would insist that she puts Ricky. Okay. So she spelled my name with a Y. I chose to spell it with an I. So I've been using Ricky since I was like in the last part of primary school. To a point that in high school Riki was the primary name that persons used more than just Tepo. Right. You know we started with you telling
2: us you had a privileged childhood and what's so interesting about your story of privilege is growing up spending a large time in rural Africa with a single mom. Yeah. Things that a lot of people would not ascribe to privilege. Yeah exactly. I mean they would, oh, shame. oh sorry. sorry. And the story that you're telling, the privilege that you experienced, was of acceptance, yeah. of people's willingness and ability to accept you for who you were and not who they thought you should be. Yeah. Perhaps that is the ultimate privilege, that you had that to yeah. start with. And exactly. what a wonderful foundation that provides any human for deciding who they want, want to, to, become to become later yeah.
0: on in life. True. And I think adding to what you're saying, Jiden, is that families meant to be able to support each other And in all this time, my mother is always insisting that we don't judge. So for me, I find that being raised by a single parent was actually a huge privilege. At the same time, it allowed us room, and myself specifically, to be able to get my family, especially my mom and my brothers, through the motions of having to go through this transition with me. But the things that my family raised me with that for me were also very interesting was that I grew up, and to this day, my family is still staunch Christian and I existed as a trans body that was raised according to Christian faith and belief systems. But the way in which my family got to somehow use Christianity, the values and the principles of loving everybody unconditionally, was what was used to be able to raise me this way. And that is how my whole entire family has raised me with this understanding that in as different as I am. I am a picture of God. Oh. I am a picture of the love of God. Like, it's insane, Jillian, to this very day, because of the fact that I look at Christianity and how it oppresses a whole lot of yes. people like me. Absolutely. How it is a justification for those who don't believe in it. They can go and specifically to the abomination around sexual diversity and gender diversity. And how my family have used various other contexts for meeting anything to do with the body because I was raised to know that, no, 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 this body will remain. So even if you go through this transition, You, so long as your heart and your mind and your soul belong to God, don't mind the body. And everything else that people keep on persecuting you about, because we've had a lot of people talking both to my family and even to I about the fact that I have desecrated the temple of the Lord by going and transitioning. Am I saying that God made a mistake? God does not make mistakes. But when you use those same exact kind of words, my family will tell you that, yes, God does not make a mistake. And the very process that she's going through is what God wanted. All of us transition in various ways, and this is how I was raised to understand that my transition is not such an anomaly, because any one of us here can change and can transition because of anything that God throws our way. And this is from a very strong, traditional, African, merged with a whole lot of religious doctrine and belief systems that raised me, which is why I still remain a Christian to this very day, and I understand Christianity to be something totally different to what others use to persecute people like me. Mm. And it is why I'm forever one person who is very passionate about bridging this divide that exists between faith and queer narratives and queer lives because of the fact that I don't think that they stand juxtaposed to one another. Christianity is not one that dislikes difference, that persecutes and judges. We can still be able to flip this very script on its head and use these things that are used as weapons against some of us to change the perception that we cannot be queer and people of faith at the same time, mm. the two are not necessarily divorced from one another. And I guess those are some of the things that I keep on saying, the privileges, oh yeah, because whereas other families use that very Bible to ostracize, my family uses that same Bible and that mm. same exact Christian doctrine to embrace, to love.
2: You have a deep... Sense of comfort with yourself and all of the complexities that each one of us has. Mm-hmm. You know that, as you say, for many people, become sources of pain and tension yeah, and suffering and, and suffering. Yeah, and even and violence. I think suffering. Yes, suffering and violence. Mm. Violence has found a place within global discourse. It's yeah. it's a violent othering. It's yes. a violent assertion of right versus mm-hmm. wrong. And
0: you're of us, of them, yes. As well, and
2: from your. Present day context, where does this dialogue sit for you within African context and that aspect of your identity and how it sits side by side with the Christian identity, the mm-hmm. queer identity, the African identity as a very powerful voice for a freedom to be at home with yourself, to not regard yourself as deficient
0: mm-hmm.
2: or other? Mm-hmm. Because everything that one would see as a deficiency, you see as a privilege.
0: Growing up, I think, with this kind of a powerhouse of a woman who gave me room and space to be able to have my own questions and seek answers, gave me this sense of autonomy to be myself. I mean, it's determined even the kind of men I've married. I mean, Tony himself is somebody who comes from a traditional background, but... When meeting up with me and coming to understand that I am one woman who is not going to be subservient to a man. We don't subscribe to that. At times people feel that it's too good to be true to find somebody who's so traditional but been able to embrace you coming with your whole entire queerness because I saw my own mother become a very powerful woman when she now was able to claim her agency back from a man. and. That is a narrative that is prevailing within us as Africans because of a very patriarchal system that wants to tell us that we can only be because there's men who are in front of us. Yet we've got so many examples of women who continue to be the glue that holds families Mm. together. I think masculinity is so fragile that it needs to affirm itself by bringing down women. As women and girls, we're raised to know that we should be needy of a man in order for us to be women, in order for us to live, in order for us to have a future, which validates masculinity as somehow having power over us. No way, there's no way that masculinity will tell me what to do about my life. And certainly there's no way that masculinity can come into my life and determine who and what I can be. And it is exactly how, for me, I've been able to find a space of carving my own queer theology as well. In that, what do you think Christ would say looking at the state of affairs right now where lesbian women are killed every single day, that somebody shoves their penises inside of us as trans women and says that they are correcting us so that then we should know that we are men and we should be men. Faith used as a justification for hate, for othering, for violence, for dislike. What do you think Christ would be saying I use it to challenge the Mm. norm. I use it to challenge that which people feel is totally immoral. It's totally an aberration to the status quo. And many people will look at me and fail to even see God. But it's not for me to go and cuddle up into a corner and die and wilt away. It's for me to continue to shine in order for them to be able to see that face of God, the very God that I believe in. And that is how, for me, I think I practice my own religious belief system in a bit of a different way, with some bit of queerness to it, we need to be able to evolve. I
2: mean, as you were talking about seeing Oprah and seeing yourself and the need for role models, at the same time, you talk about your identity being, being dictated, dictated to, to by you. others. Yeah. And I'm curious about your own sense of owning a trans label. To some extent, it suggests that that's the totality yeah, of who I am. Of who I am. Yeah. And that in and of itself starts to Stifle limit you. you, yeah. And as you look at the emerging queer movement, as you look at the young versions of you, the children growing up today in a very different environment, how do you see those labels both sort of helping and in some, not harming, but blocking, Ooh, blocking the kind yes. of integration that you had quite naturally and quite organically almost in your own environment, in some ways because the label wasn't there, yeah. then you were allowed to become this very full expression of Ricky, not yeah. there's trans Ricky. Whereas now I think we are quite quick to put a label onto somebody and in some ways their sense of possibility might get shaped by mm-hmm. that. Yeah. There's this desire to create more labels in order to normalize and validate, which I'm sure it does. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, does it then make one see oneself through a certain lens that shapes who you think you are or who you can become?
0: I think you're spot on, Jill, in terms of how labels themselves, even those that we assign to ourselves, can become limitations in later life. And it's something that I also learned in how Having taken on a trans label, and that can become a limitation in how people perceive that which you possess as various talents, as abilities, as things that you offer intellectually. And I'm going to come back and say and become a devil's advocate on the necessity for these labels, but I've realized how that became a bit limiting in that which Riki are you talking about? Oh, the trans woman Riki, there's more to me than just my own identity and being trans. And that I think bore this appreciation inside of me of intersection of multiple layers of identities. Mm -hmm. I am a traditional Tswana girl, but at the same time, I'm this Christian being within a context of Africa that was colonized using this very instrument in itself and having to question myself even at times about believing in a system that I think was used to oppress us as Africans and continues to in various ways. And having to understand that, yes, you're also trans and then you're also a woman and that you need to be able to separate the two because for the longest time my womanhood was determined or defined by my transness and as i grew older i got to realize that women themselves come with different kind of backgrounds that shape the womanhood that they come into some it is shaped by sexual violence and how they've become survivors and beat the kind of backlash that often comes with having to see yourself as lesser of a human being after somebody has violated you in that way Others coming from a background of understanding themselves to be living positively with HIV, while others like me are coming from understanding themselves to have had to transition into this womanhood and carrying this trans label. And I've become this person who is very proud of the fact that I'm always trying to conscientize a younger trans demographic to understand themselves as being bigger than just being trans. As also having to be proud of all the other things that they offer at intellectual level, at a social level, at even a political level, the kind of analysis that we also have in terms of understanding oppression from the space that we come in from. So until and when the world gets to a point where we don't need to affirm ourselves, I cannot throw away the trans label, sure. because, like you say, many of the other privileges I carry is that. I present sort of cis, I Mm -hmm. look like I was born female. Mm -hmm. For many people, if I don't tell them, if I don't say it, they don't think about it, that there are women who are born like me. And with that, I realized that privilege in itself cushions me in such a way that I could just blend in and nobody would think any otherwise about me. I use and carry that label for political purposes to continue to ensure that then we are counted. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't and blend in, then I make it even more difficult for the other woman or other trans person who walks into the room after me who might not be carrying the same privilege that I'm carrying of looking like any other typical female. What about them? Have I created a space for them to be themselves? Have I created an enabling and welcoming environment for them to walk into when I have crossed paths with them or I have been in those particular spaces? The transness is only but a smaller percentage of everything that they are. Look at what is it that your transness is able to push you to find out about yourself. The feminism that I carry, which I call transformative feminism, because it transforms even the way in which we look at patriarchy as a system and whom it affects and whom it abuses, whom it oppresses. It is not just about women and children. It's also about all these other queer identities that also are subject Mm. to being abused, to being violated by patriarchal doctrine and dictate. What else can you become, beyond just you being trans and becoming your own woman or becoming your own man or becoming your own gender that you choose? How else is it that the system is limiting you to become a fully fleshed person? What is it that it is not given to you? Understanding the limitations within our education system, and the limitations within healthcare, the limitations within the political spaces and civic engagement and how then there are certain spaces that even as a woman, stripping yourself of now a trans identity, embodying womanhood, what it brings, a plethora of other oppressions and challenges, and continuously needing to ensure that then those identities, one does not necessarily go and supersede all others, that you are find a way of being able to interconnect them. And that I think for me is how I've been able to make peace with carrying a trans label. And it's how I've used my own life and how I have grown and continuously sharpened my own leadership skill Now becoming the first trans, black, African to be executive director to an international NGO, I continue to use that kind of push and drive to do more with my life, to show other trans persons that your transness is only but a small percentage of who and what you are and it does not limit you from wanting and wishing to do more with your life. We're here and we need to be counted. We're here and we're capable. And it's how then I think Every trans person needs to continue to be looking at those intersections of their own identity, beyond just now, I think, segregating yourself to just carrying a trans label. You don't need to throw it out, but you need to understand that it's one hat out of a whole lot of hats that you wear as a person. I go home, I'm my mother's daughter, I'm a sister to my brothers, I'm my husband's partner, I'm a sister-in-law, and all these multiple identities that we carry, all need to somehow coexist in somewhat of a harmonious way, particularly when you're coming from the other and wanting to become a part of this us that exists. So it's why I'm continuously using my own feminist ideals to push back at even very radical feminists who still hold essentialist views that you cannot be a feminist if you don't understand what the burden of carrying a vagina is like. Those are some of the things that I continue to push back at because I have not always carried one, but the system has always wanted to dictate to me that this is what you can be and this is what you cannot be. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. And it's why then it's important that we need to break out of our own silos and our own little spaces where and say I'm trans and then my whole life that's the only label I'm going to carry. Right. You're also a woman. What is it that connects your struggle to theirs?
2: And it strikes me just that you know you said you're your mother's daughter and yeah. in so many ways your story is your mother's story isn't it yes it's, it's not allowing yourself to be defined by the situation you were born into yeah it is allowing yourself to write your own story and to find peace and comfort and power within that and i just want to say thank you for radically challenging some of i think our perceptions, understandings of sort of what privilege is, yeah. you know, <laughs> of how you find the space to reconcile the many different aspects of yourself. And that is an incredible statement in the world today.
0: Thank you so, yeah. so much, Gillian.
1: If we thought we'd be interviewing a quote-unquote victim, we were wrong. Absolutely. Interviewing Ricky, a young African trans woman from rural Botswana, you might have expected a story of hardship, hate, or struggle.
2: But this is precisely the opposite. This is a love
1: story. The love between
2: a mother and her daughter, the love of family and of spirituality.
1: Ricky's is a story of self-love too, profound acceptance and a sense of place. Here is a woman who forces us to challenge a host of assumptions about Africa and
2: particularly rural African culture, about single parenthood, and about growing up transgender
1: in a religious community. And Ricky also challenges us to recognize that sexual identity isn't definitive or defining. It's just one small part of her broader identity, something her mother taught her from a young age and that she carries on in her work today. Ricky has been privileged to be able to grow and thrive as her whole self. I walked
2: away realizing that acceptance is truly the greatest privilege of all. Courageous Conversations is supported by the Ford Foundation and produced by Jen Warren with music courtesy of Benjamin
1: Verdery. Follow us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Search for Courageous Conversations. You
2: can also visit JillianReilly.com slash podcasts for more information
1: or to listen online. And we have a new website. Visit soundpage.fm slash courageousconversations. Thanks for listening.